Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I have taken several months off of podcasting. I don't think anybody has noticed. I don't think I had any listeners to begin with, but I figured now is the best time to jump right back into this 90 Day Fiance podcasting, especially now that Discovery Plus, another streaming service, has come along. I think we could be pretty confident that TLC is just going to run this entire franchise into the ground. Um, I'm also coming up on one year of quarantine and so I may as well just keep talking to the void about this show that I cannot quit cannot give up so yeah my name's Allison as a reintroduction this is my 90 day fiance recap podcast the everything 90 day fiance beyond the 90 days before the 90 days happily ever after related We are now up to season eight, episode six of 90 Day Fiance. This is the original series, not one of the spinoffs. So the present, the present, well, sorry, the premise of 90 Day Fiance is that an American brings a foreigner to the United States on a 90 day K-1 visa. During those 90 days, they have to get married. Otherwise, the person has to uh, return to their home country. So let's get into the recap. I would like to practice keeping these recaps kind of brief for people who like can't stand to watch this show anymore and just kind of want to keep up with the gossip. And yeah, Um, so let's start with Mike and Natalie. Natalie, of course, is from Ukraine. Uh, Last season, it was before the 90 days is when we saw them. Mike is from Squim, Washington, which appears to be like on the outer edges of Olympia National Park. He lives like basically in the middle of the woods. Uh, we also found out last episode that Mike's job requires him to drive, I think, t- an hour and a half each way, something crazy like that. So basically, where we start with these this uh, lovely couple is that Natalie has finally made her way to the United States. Um, Mike hates her guts. And she is now on her K-1 visa. The 90-day clock is ticking. And all she has to do all day is sit alone in their house. Now, I know Natalie is a divisive character, There's quite a lot of commentary about her online being a bitch, other misogynistic terms that I'm not going to use toward her. I think that they both suck, to be quite honest. I think Natalie, on the other hand, though, when we saw Natalie in Ukraine, she was extremely demanding, like just batshit. And she really seems to be trying a lot harder. She seems, I would say, she's someone who has learned from her previous run on the show and she's become very camera aware where I think she's doing things to be kind of funny for the camera and playing it off as like her being herself. But I think she's also like consciously reigning in the crazy so that she doesn't have more of these like bug eyed in a church moments that she had the first time that we saw her on before the 90 days. So what happened this episode? Basically, Natalie is still doesn't have her engagement ring back that she threw back at Mike when they were back in Ukraine. But she's there supposedly as a fiance and she still doesn't have her ring back. In the meantime, she just has decided to not unpack her suitcases yet because she's not sure if this is all going to work out. So she's kind of hinting very heavily to Mike like, hey, I haven't unpacked yet. It would be nice if I had a dresser. Mike, on the other hand, like I said, he hates his fiance. The way he's reacting to her asking for some space in their bedroom is he's acting like a kid whose mom just got remarried and suddenly has to share a room with a stepbrother of the same age. He is so extremely put out by anything she asks, like, how dare you ask for more dresser space? You have drawers. Like, why can't, like, you just hang everything and I'll just, like, shove my shit in this other drawer. And she's just, you know, 
asking for a little bit of room here. So begrudgingly, Mike gets off of his ass. He goes into the bedroom. He takes some of his like balled up clothes from two of the three drawers and shoves them into one so that she could finally, I don't know, like unpack her suitcases and start to feel settled in this tiny little house. Um, Like no offense to their house. What I'm getting at is that Mike also has made zero effort to make this a presentable living space for Natalie. His shit is still all over. Like everything's disorganized. It's a mess. Like nothing about her showing up or the way that this house looks when she showed up screams that this person was expecting a guest. Like you would think that if your fiance was coming to live with you permanently before the marriage, you'd, I don't know, hire a cleaning service to help, you know, clean out the nooks and crannies, you know, maybe throw out some of the shit that you don't need anymore. But no, Mike literally cannot be bothered. And that just like, that's the attitude he has with this entire relationship. So yeah, then we see Natalie all by herself again. Like I said, literally living on the edge of a national park. I'm starting to wonder that Mike only bothered to bring her over on this 90-day visa to have someone to watch his cat while he's gone for long stretches of time while he's at work. So Natalie, like I said, the house is a mess, and Natalie's describing that all she has to do all day is clean this house, and she says, it's boring, I want to die. It's so bad that she had to take off her nails because she's just cleaning all the time, and she doesn't even have her ring back. Her mom calls her on FaceTime from Ukraine, and uh, I know enough Russian for, or, you know, Ukrainian, Russian, similar-ish languages. I know enough Russian from watching the Americans that when her mom asks her if she has her ring back, all Natalie has to say is nyt. Okay, let's move on to Tariq and Hazel. They are also returning um, this season. They were on before the 90 days before. Hazel is from the Philippines. She has a son who is about probably five years old. But she does not have primary custody of that son in the Philippines. He lives with his father and stepmother. I believe it's money issue. Hazel is extremely poor. And I just want to get this out of the way so I get this feeling out. It doesn't, you know, seep through my other words. I am really tired of the poverty porn on this series. I wish that they would stop featuring women who are in such dire straits financially um in their home countries that they feel that they have to be with this these men um i think the most glaring example of this was of course big ed and rose like it's just really sad to watch and especially the situation with her son it really brings it home what she's going through as an individual with that and i you know i hope this is the last we see the philippines for a while because unfortunately i think that's the problem that we have with a lot of these fiancés who are coming from that country. Anyway, so this episode, this is another couple who they're, a lot of their plot revolves around dressers, closets, where do we put clothes in our house? How do we hang things properly? Tariq has all of his clothes in like a damn wrinkled pile. It looks like he took them out of the dryer. They were probably like 70% dry. So you'd like, you know, like he just balls them up, throws them on his floor. That probably smells all musty. I would be shocked if this man owns an iron. So he probably gets out there every day in his t-shirt and shorts looking like he's wearing like a paper bag. It's that wrinkled. But anyway, so Hazel is obviously feeling a little put out by this, but she's being a good sport and putting away her clothes. But luckily, we quickly move on from that plot because Tariq's daughter, Ari, is coming back. So as we remember, he has a daughter, Ari, 
and she um, has autism. She seems to be at least somewhat verbal. I'm not really sure, but he calls it high functioning autism. And Tariq does seem to be a really good dad. However, he failed to tell his fiance that she sleeps in the same bed as him whenever she's at his house, which I mean, it kind of makes sense because she, like I said, she does have autism and he said that she, that he is um, her comfort. And so this is not something he's willing to budge on. However, this is a big thing to just throw at your fiance who's going to be living in that same bed as you. What Tariq is basically asking her, no, not asking, telling her is that there's going to be three people sleeping in this bed and there's nothing I'm going to do to change that. So that's not great either. But Hazel is such a nice woman. She doesn't, she takes it in stride and she is excited to meet Ari for the first time. She's very nervous about become like being a stepmom to this girl. And it was honestly really cute. Um, Ari comes in. I like this a lot. Tariq asks her to take her shoes off at the door. I love a house where you take your shoes off as God intended. And Hazel is like really shy, like waiting to meet her. And they just immediately hug. It's very sweet. Ari says that her name is Hazel. And yeah, I have high hopes for these two. Um, Hazel's goal is to be able to bring her son over to the United States eventually. I really hope that happens. Uh, I could see her being a pretty good stepmom to Ari. It is also nice to see Tar- Tariq being a dad. And uh, sorry, I keep wanting to call him Tarek, as in flip or flop Tarek El Musa. So if you hear that, that's what's going on in my head. Anyway, as I was saying, it's nice to see Tarek being a dad instead of just being this freak who doesn't understand bisexuality, who thinks that bisexuality is polyamory who's like obsessed with threesomes and everything so it's nice departure to see like probably his real life right okay so the next scene Tariq has his friends over to come meet hazel they are having a southern barbecue there's cornbread i was really hungry when i was watching this it did not help to look at all this delicious food um Tariq has what looks like a really nice tight group of friends like he's been friends with them for a while and it was really impressive. They were all extremely welcoming of Hazel, which is not something we normally see on this show. We usually get people who get in front of the camera for the first time, fall in love with their own face and act like assholes questioning this person uh, who's in front of them, uh, which we're going to see with Yara in a little bit. But it's really nice. Her one, uh, sorry, Tariq's one friend gives Hazel a present and she like isn't even really sure what to do with it because as she explains she's never had a friend who had enough money before to give her a gift so sweet she opens it and it's a scarf and there's like a little bit of a funny moment because Hazel doesn't even really know how to wrap a scarf around herself because Philippines it's hot as hell probably didn't need a scarf something like that and so that's a good moment uh his friends tell a little bit that Tariq used to be turnt back in the day. Like he was bringing home ladies all the time. Like he was a wild and crazy guy, probably before he had Ari and all of that. But the one, uh, the one thing I'll criticize his friend for is she just straight up asks Hazel if she misses her son. Like, yeah, bitch, I'm sure she misses her son who's halfway across the world from her now, who she's not sure when she's going to see again, who she's like, praying every second of the day that she'll be able to bring over to the U.S. one day. I think that she misses him. All right. And so, yeah, they had a pretty drama free episode, except Tariq hints that he's still not sure how he's going to tell Hazel that he's been texting their ex Minty. Yes. If you are not familiar with this, I said their ex. 
So what's going on is that Hazel is bisexual. And as, as I'm kind of saying before, they used to be in a thruple with this woman, Minty. Something happened. They fell out. Minty, I think, lives in Thailand, I want to say. She lives somewhere in Southeast Asia. Uh, I don't think it was the Philippines, though. Anyway, so they had a falling out. Hazel forbid Tariq from talking to Minty anymore, but they've still been texting. He can't help it. This lady wants to be back in the thruple. So that's what we have to look forward to with those two, I guess. Okay, let's move on now to Rebecca and Zied. So Zied is finally coming over from Tunisia to live with Rebecca. Rebecca is 49 years old, but honestly looks really stunning. However, her big storyline in her original run on this show of Before the 90 Days was that she catfished the shit out of Zied. Like, that woman knew how to run a Facetune filter on herself to take off, like, 20 to 30 years. She had, like, a ring light. Like, she's pretty good at makeup, all of that. So the photos that she used, like she legit looks 21 years old. However, like when you see her as she normally is, like she's still extremely beautiful, extremely youthful looking. Like I like I think Stephanie, the woman who runs like, I don't know, like the child's blood facial spa, like the rich woman on this show. She is, I think, in her early 50s. And I would say like she and Rebecca look the same like the same level of youthful, even though I I bet that Rebecca doesn't do half the shit to her face that Stephanie does, right? Like those are some good genes. Like Rebecca is just like very beautiful, great skin and yeah, just a good looking woman. So Rebecca has a daughter named Tiffany who I think is about 20 years old and Tiffany is engaged to a man named Micah. Uh, Micah, I'm just going to put this out there. He, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he was trying to storm the Capitol earlier this uh, this week. He is like he seems like that kind of like traditional conservative. These colors don't run back home, boy. You know, but you know he comes to bring Rebecca a TV for her new apartment. I have another question about this because you could see with what Micah's wearing that he has a very large chest piece tattoo, and all we could really see of it is the top of the head and these like pointy little ears. So I'm extremely curious what his tattoo is. Like, is it a kitty cat? Um, I also wondered if it was a Westie or just some kind of woodland creature. I hope that we get treated to some kind of scene where they all go swimming together or something. So I could finally, like, they could finally unveil what's on Micah's chest because it was really distracting me. So they go to the airport in Atlanta. Uh, Tiffany and Micah are driving Rebecca and Zied walks out of customs. Uh, he's wearing a, a long dark coat. He kind of looks like a vampire and they hug in front of an airport Starbucks. Uh, Tiffany is just kind of hanging in the background. She's never met Zied before. Uh, Tiffany's also very suspicious because Rebecca was previously married to a Moroccan man who like Zied was much younger than her and that she brought over on a visa to the United States. That marriage ended very terribly. He was stealing money from Rebecca. He was cheating on her, all of that. So understandably, Tiffany is not, you know, welcoming her new stepdaddy with open arms. But Tiffany is also wearing this awful pink makeup. I think you could probably picture what I'm talking about. It's like that look where you just rub pink uh, eyeshadow like all around your eye. Like it looks like an eye infection. I'm not a fan. Um just like I'm like do you need a Benadryl or something but yeah so they all finally meet uh, Micah and Tiffany shove Rebecca and Zied into the back seat Zied's also holding this box that it's like um 
a USPS box that probably went through like the baggage and everything with like all the tape ripped up. It looks like busted as shit. I'm also extremely curious what's in that box. Um, I would say I have a lot more questions about Micah's tattoo than I do about the box, but I would be satisfied to have either answer. Micah is also, I'm sorry, I just don't like Micah. He seems to be like really condescending about Zia's language barrier, which like I would love to see this guy speak a single sentence of Spanish. So like just shut up. Like he's basically treating Zied like a child because he doesn't know everything in English yet. Um, I mean, whatever, Micah. However, uh, let's dock some points from Zied as well, because they start asking him what his plan is. And he just kind of stutters out that, well, I won't be able to work for a few months until like the visa comes through and after we get married and everything. And like, I think you have to have the green card to work. And they're like, no, no, no. Okay, that's we all know that. But what's your job going to be when you can have a job? And he just kind of doesn't say anything. Rebecca does get defensive, though. Apparently, Ziad has HVAC training, which, like, I'm kind of curious how that translates. Like, I know it's mostly the same, but, you know, like, it's a very specialized certification here in the United States. Can you just do that in Tunisia and walk onto a job that probably wants you to have gone to, like, a trade school or something here? I don't know, but it's not boding well. I'm kind of worried because Rebecca, like I said, really sweet. She works really hard and I don't want to see her get hurt like this. So we'll see what happens with them now that Ziad is here in the country. Okay, let's move on now to Andrew and Mira. So Andrew is like about eight feet tall. He runs a preschool with his mother in California and Mira um, lives basically on the set of Beauty and the Beast. It's like this vineyard wine country in France and she's really beautiful. She's um, Egyptian and French and they, uh, yeah, she's going to, she has the visa to come to the U.S. However, on their filming schedule, uh, the shutdown and like the border closings were already happening actively due to the coronavirus. So she could not enter the U.S. directly from France. However, it wasn't an option for them to just not come over because she already had the K-1 visa in hand. And they um, didn't want to lose that visa. They had done the interview, paid all the money and everything. So anyway, their plan was to send to meet up together in Mexico so that she could travel from France to Mexico. And then I guess by whatever regulations there are in California, travel from Mexico to the U.S. However... When she got to Mexico City, Mira was detained by immigration, and now Andrew had to go off by himself to the the all-inclusive resort in Puerto Vallarta to wait it out for her. I just want to add the geographical point that Mexico City is pretty much dead center in the very large country of Mexico, and Puerto Vallarta is on the western coast. So instead of getting somewhere closer to where his fiance is being detained by authorities who probably are speaking a language that she doesn't understand. Uh, Andrew just went ahead, checked him into that resort. He got the little snap bracelet so he could scan himself into the buffet and everything. I am just not a fan of this. But, you know, you have to give our boy an Oscar. He is putting on quite the show to look like a distressed person who's so, so worried about Mira. He's like, out on the balcony of his uh, hotel room, looking out at the beautiful pool and the pristine ocean and like 
basically burying his head in his hands and going, why? Yeah, he calls his mom and his sister to explain that Mira was detained. And the way he phrased it was just like the doctor on Arrested Development. Like, he made it sound like Mira fucking died. They're like, hi, how's it going? Uh, is Mira there? And he's like, no, she didn't make it. And so that was just, that's a lot. That's a lot to hear when your son is in Mexico in the middle of a pandemic, right? And so, yeah, we get back to him again. And he's still moping around the hotel room in this, like, full black getup. Um, and he keeps calling these numbers trying to get information about Mira, but he can't get anybody on the phone who speaks English. Um, I mean, I'm just guessing you're staying at this resort that's probably hundreds of dollars a night. Why, like, if this were you and your loved one were detained at the airport, why wouldn't you just go down to the lobby and ask if someone could help you translate so you could at least get some productive phone calls out there? Just saying, Andrew. So then he uh, FaceTimes Mira's dad back in France, and he basically sounds like he is holding Mira hostage. He spends way too much time calling this man sir, complimenting his outfit, telling him he looks great. And, uh, you know, they talk about how her daughter, his daughter is in detention. And, uh, yeah, I'm very sorry, sir. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, this whole scene of Andrew calling around and not speaking Spanish, like it reminded me so much of John Hurd, the dad in Home Alone, when he is in the apartment in France and he says, parlez anglais là to everybody because he's trying to get his calls out to the U.S. Um, I don't know. Andrew just give me extremely culty vibes. I can't really justify it yet. Um, he, I mean, I can. Like, for example, he he said that his... Love is fading for Mira while she's in detention in Mexico. Like, excuse me, sir, you put her into this situation. She is probably the most scared she's ever been in her life, but your love is fading for her? Uh, excusez-moi? I, I don't know, this asshole. So, I mean, at least we saw in the preview that she does get out of detention after 48 hours. So I just, yeah, I hope for the best for her. All right, let's leave Mexico. Let's go up to Grand Rapids, Michigan and see Stephanie. I mean, what can we say? God bless Stephanie. She is a thriving, successful, self-sufficient cat woman. We love to see it. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, with this whole thing that happened with her this week with Ryan, I kind of just feel like she wanted to be on TV to maybe promote her business, like her Madame Balfrey bloodbaths or she's like auditioning in case Real Housewives ever comes to Michigan. Like I know she's not married and she doesn't have any kids besides her kitty cats. But I mean, most of the Housewives women are no longer married or were never married, things like that. So I don't think it's a, a rule that you can't be. Uh, like she runs a business very similar to Heather on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And she would just be like an excellent choice for the, the kooky castmate. And so Stephanie has sunk a lot of money into bringing this young boy toy, Ryan, from Belize to the United States. However, um, she had wanted to go to Belize to see Ryan, but the borders are now closed due to COVID, like where they are on their filming schedule. Uh, the K-1 visa interview was also delayed due to the pandemic. However, she can't relay any of this information to him because he won't answer his damn phone. Now, remember, Stephanie admitted last week that so Ryan became unemployed due to the pandemic when the tourism industry dried up in Belize. 
she happens to know a friend who runs a luxury resort in Belize and she conned this person into hiring Ryan and pretending to pay him. Meanwhile, she's really funneling his wages directly to her friend who's then paying him. Like, it's so pathetic and weird. Uh, but, you know, what can you say? Ryan still doesn't know that this woman is the one who's like really paying his money. So she's just hanging around her house in shorts and a sheer top. She looks incredible. Um, she's in bed trying to call Ryan. She's feeding one of her cats what looks like a bowl of Russian dressing while she's trying to get this phone call through. And she just can't get through to him. Like he's he's uh, he's leaving her on red, as the, as the kids say. Um, I just and so she practices her hula hoop a little bit more while she waits for Ryan. And they finally get on the phone. Uh, they bicker back and forth and he just like seems so over it, which like, who does he think he is? Like, if he were able to come to the U.S. with her, he would have it made. She has a lot of money. She's already proven that she's not afraid to throw around her money with him. Um, I would, you know, I don't think she'd be like that jealous. I mean, she is jealous that he's texting other girls, but I can kind of see her like, willingly looking the other way when he went off for an evening and stuff like that like he would just economically especially he would have it made like I don't think she would expect him to work he would basically be a houseboy so I'm like very curious why he had such a 180 turn on her and like why he's so actively just like doesn't want to come to the U.S. he basically gives her permission to cancel the whole visa process but uh Stephanie is desperate to stay on TV. And so she's, yeah, she's going to, she's going to try one more time because she refuses to break up with him unless it happens in person, which if this is like April or May of last year, that could be like another two years that she's waiting to go back down to Belize to break up. And finally, let's conclude this episode with Jovi and Yara. Um, I just want to comment on his name a little bit. I am from New Jersey, so his name is never not going to be hilarious to me. His name is Jovi John and then his last name. So uh, we all know that his mother was listening, what his mother was listening to when she was pregnant with Jovi John. Um, I'm about to say a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear it, skip ahead like 30 seconds. But I saw some tea online that they actually had a baby in September of this past year, 2020. So, you know, they did get married and they did eventually have a kid. So that's that'll be interesting to see develop. So we pick up with them. It's December 2019 and Jovi is about to go off for a month to work. I think he does offshore like underwater uh, welding, something like that. So it takes him all over the world, really, and pays really well. But he's gone for long stretches of time. So if you notice with this timeline, I'm not sure what they were trying to achieve by showing that it was December 2019, except maybe that the pandemic hadn't really set in yet. But he goes off. But if he's going to be gone until he says the 25th of January, that means that Yara had to sit there in that apartment by herself like all of Christmas and New Year's, which is really sad. I feel bad for her with that. Uh, so back at the apartment, Yara is all alone. She said she tried to get out and see the city of New Orleans, but someone threw up on her shoes at noon. So she's just kind of had it with New Orleans. Like, trust me, I get it. I haven't had the pleasure of being to New Orleans, but having lived in um, San Francisco for several years, I get what she's saying, that the streets smell like piss. All right. But Jovi's friend Sarah is nice enough to take Yara out to get her nails done. They've um, never met before, but... 
Um, she's more than happy to take Yara out to uh, kind of pry into their relationship and plant some bad seeds into Yara's brain. So they go and they get their uh, their pedicures done. Yara is wearing Spanx leggings for the pedicure, which is a big mistake, ladies or, or men. Anyone who gets a pedicure knows like the big thing you have to think about is can these pants be rolled up to my knees so that I can get the full you know, the full experience of the aloe being rubbed onto my calves, all of that. Like I have definitely been in that, those shoes before where I'm wearing like jeans with like a really tight cuff and you're just like desperately trying to pull this denim up your pasty leg and it's just not working, you know? But so they're getting this done. It looks really nice. I haven't had my nails done in a minute because I, I listened to the CDC. Um, so the friend is prying. She asks if they want to start a family yet. And uh, Yara says she doesn't have plans to have a baby until Joey finds a different job. She dreams of them starting a business back in New Orleans that would keep him home more. I mean, I don't see Joey finding a different job. First of all, his dad is in the same field. So um, he knew what he was getting into with it, but he also has good connections with it. And he makes a lot of money. Um Obviously, it's not conducive to someone who wants their partner to be home all like often to take care of the kids with them. But I think that's the life that Jovi knows. And so, uh, yeah, probably should have talked about that before. Right. Um, so Jovi's friend Sarah drops the bomb that um, surprise, surprise, this may shock all of you. Like sit down if you are not sitting already. Jovi loves to get drunk, stay out all night and be with strippers. He had an ex that was uh, so crazy that she peed the bed. Um, basically, Sarah's just stirring shit and prying really hard into their relationship. Like, I don't know what her deal is. Like, it seems like she's suspicious of Yara's intentions of coming to the U.S. However, in order to, like, communicate that point, she's shitting all over Jovi. But it's kind of, if this, if, if this makes sense, it's kind of getting directed back onto Yara. Uh, yeah, I don't like Sarah. So that's where we are with this episode. Um, probably next week, I am sure we're going to head back down to Dunwoody, Virginia to see Brandon and Yulia. Uh, yeah. So thanks for listening. I hope to keep this up this time and I'll talk to you all next week.